There was something more than just knowledge. I just thought, I need to learn about the brain, why people continue this little cycle, despite knowing it doesn't serve them. Hi, I'm Ella McChrystal, and this is The New Mind. Today's guest is Birgitta. Now, Birgitta is a hypnotherapist and mindset coach, but in addition to that, Birgitta has got an amazing story that I want to share with you all, mainly because I think we all get stuck in our own lives sometimes, and there's things that happen to us that make us doubt who we are, and often it's those events that can turn out to be the most profound events in our lives, and we're going to hear some of those um, nuances in Birgitta's story today. Um, so I'm going to introduce Birgitta now to you all. Hello, Birgitta. Hi, hello. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's very exciting. Well, after speaking to you today, actually, I'm more excited to have you than you are to be here, I think. Because <laughs> um, I, I reached out to you on Instagram. Mm. Um, I felt an alignment with you and I can't really say why. I just, I was following your stuff and I just really liked you. And as I said to you earlier, uh, I, I I very rarely reach out to people I don't know, you know, that follow me and I follow back. But I just had this sense of something amazing with you and mm. I wanted you to come on for that reason. And as you were sharing some more of your stories, we've just been doing the sort of background to what your story is. I was just like jaw dropped. And I know you probably don't see the value of your own story because no one ever does. Um, but I just thought, thank goodness I asked you to come on because oh. what you do um, as a job is very similar to me, hypnotherapist, mindset coach. Uh, so there's lots of interesting stuff there, but actually how you got there. Um, and as I said at the beginning there, I feel like we often get stuck on our own journey and we don't look back enough and go, wow, actually this is the moment that this happened. If that hadn't have happened, then that wouldn't have happened. And there's been lots of people listening that maybe just feel like something's going on in their lives now and they just don't know which way to turn and may have lost a bit of hope. But hopefully listening to this story, uh, they're going to go, do you know what? That's pretty profound and I feel really inspired by this story. So I am very glad that you're here. Oh, thank you. I can't be more excited. Um, I've felt the same way. I think I've followed you for a long time and just had that alignment that um, that I've learned how to trust in my, you know, as I get older, yeah. I learn how to tune into that more and more. Uh, when there is something about someone, I trust that. Yeah. So, uh, no, it's a real pleasure to be here. Well, hopefully we'll be friends forever. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I'm a weird stalker. <laughs> now I've got you, that's it, you yeah, never get away. <laughs> but actually, um, the listeners may have picked up that your accent is not a British accent. So you are from Sweden. I'm from Sweden. I'm from Stockholm. Um, and um, I think that's sort of part of the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. I think there's always been a a, a journey. Um, you know, I left when I was quite early. I was uh, When I was quite young, I was 20. And I was always sort of looking for something. Um, and I think that's continued. And mm. I think a lot of us are like that. We are we have something innate in us that we are searching for and we don't quite know what that is. It can be a sense of looking for home or looking for connection or looking for, there's something. And so, um, but coming from Sweden, it's a very, uh, it's a place where people are quite direct. Um, there is a, a sense of, um, I don't know how to describe it. It's more um, 
it's you don't have the silk wrapper around thing yeah. like you do here. Yeah. So I think um, that has worked for me and against me in my life. Um, but I think now I see it as a strength. I see, you know, I, I am quite honest and yeah. So, um, yeah. I like that. I think that that's really important actually, because honesty is one of the hardest things to to provide because mm. people get hurt and mm-hmm. they don't always know how to to take that direct approach. But actually, we were talking earlier, weren't we, about um, women in general, actually, we were saying how, how different young women approach business now or, or their careers. And I think women are becoming more direct and go-getters and so some of that will will feed that that early those early years will feed back into what what you're doing now in terms of business I guess yeah absolutely um, and I think it's great when you see that confidence yeah and that sense of not questioning what you're doing not questioning themselves or 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 whether they have the permission to do something or not whether they have the right qualification or not they're just doing it yeah um, and I think we have a lot to learn from that and I yes. think you know. For for you know, for me, for example, the older I get, I'm starting to think, well, hold on a minute. It's just because I'm older doesn't mean I can't do something. Absolutely. Doesn't mean that there is the end of the road. So yeah, I think there's that's inspirational in, in itself. Cause I think we do certainly up until maybe even ten years ago, I think women did very much feel like there was a timeline and mm-hmm. you know, you can't start something new in your forties. This yeah. is you winding down now, actually. We can. You know, they used to say life begins at 40, didn't mm-hmm. they? Um, now with you, I think what what I was really interested in is that you, you said you left Sweden at 20. Mm-hmm. What made you leave? I think it was that sense of something more. I mean, I had been traveling when I was a teenager and I had met people from the States and they were very open and they were fun. And we had an invitation, a friend of mine, and I, and we were really young. We were like 17 and wow. we were invited to go over to meet uh, these friends that we had made on holiday. Now I look back and I'm thinking, that's so crazy because yeah. we were so young. If my daughter said, I want to go away and stay with people I've met on holiday in, in the States, I'd say no way. But mm. we did. And uh, and I think coming there and seeing just a the possibilities, the energy, the openness, all of that made me think, actually, there are more places for me to see than just being in Sweden. So I knew I wanted to go to the States. I knew I wanted to have a different experience. I knew that Sweden wasn't big enough at the time for me. So, and I was the only one who left, really. I mean, there wasn't that, there was a bunch of us going or that I had the safety of a group or anything like that. There was something really that just propelled me onwards. So, so like an independence and yeah, a strength. That, yeah. Where did that I, come from? I think, yeah, I don't know really. I mean, I come from, um, I mean, I'm an only child. Mm. Um, and so I'm used to doing things on my own. I'm used to coming to decisions on my own. I'm used to, um, you know, having that dialogue that you normally have with other people. I had that with myself. Wow. So I would like evaluate, okay, is this a good idea? Should I do this? Does it feel right? And and then follow that. So I think um, probably if I'd had siblings or a bigger family network, they probably would have talked me out of it. But yeah. I guess there was no one there really to talk me out of it. So that's so interesting. I went with it. So that kind of sense of I've got my own back, mm-hmm. and I, and you're curious to travel and meet yeah. these people again. 
you went to LA. I went to LA because I Sweden is freezing. And <laughs> so I wanted to be close to the sun. And I had a friend there who I got to stay with. And uh, yeah, and it sort of, you know, took off from there. He said, you can stay with me for a few weeks. And then you're on your own, my typical sort of American hardball attitude. Mm. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you that I am going to find something. So I did. I got a job. I, I found a flat. I found some flatmates. And those people are still some of my best friends today. Wow. So that was lovely. And um, yeah, and I, I really resonated with the tone of LA and that whole California thing about self-development and... Um, you know, you can be responsible for your own life. You can change things that don't work. Mm. All of that stuff, I really, you know, which we all know now is coming from there. That that really made a huge impact on me. So I started to hang with people who, you know, were reading and going to lectures and going to certain bookshops. And, you know, we could have those conversations. And for me, that was so, I don't know, it was just everything because mm. I think I've felt quite con confined in Sweden. There was a certain uh, conversation that was had and I knew that there was something more. And I think a lot of us feel that way. There is more to us, but we don't show it. Yeah. Sort of the thought processes we have or the questions we have about life or how we feel. So I felt like there was space for me there and I was understood in a way that I hadn't felt before. So yeah, it was it was a really big moment for me. And, you know, I met some really interesting people. Um, you know, I was saying to you before, I, I met with Marianne Williamson, who now is a big name, yeah. you know, Return to Love and all of that. But this is her day when she was just talking in a church to anyone who wanted to come, really. It was a free event. You just showed up. Um, quite a small place. Um, and lots of different people from different walk of life, walks of life. and um, you know, so there was this sort of sense of being on the on the cusp of something. Yes, that's so cool. It's so cool. Yeah. And actually, interestingly enough, I met her again a few years later. I was working, I was studying, and I was working, in a, you know, just in a hospital uh, doing admin work, as you do. And uh, she came in and I said, you know, I saw you in that church a couple of years ago. And she said, did you really? And um, what's what's going on in your life? And she asked for my name and I said, well, I'm Birgitta. And I said, you know, I've had this boy trouble. So I had had a relationship that had ended and I was a little bit heartbroken. So she said to me, um, I'm going to come back here with my friend tomorrow and I'm going to bring you something. And she came back the following day and she had brought me these cassettes, as it was then, about um, relationships, about self-worth. It was a stack of cassettes that she had remembered to bring to me, this little receptionist in this hospital environment. And I just thought, you know, if you, you know, that was a vibe yes. all over. And so, yeah, it was great. And I so I that's phenomenal. So this was a time before, I guess, certainly before it sort of spread through to the UK because the Americans were always definitely ahead of us in mm -hmm. terms of self-development and probably still are, to be fair. But they had something different going on then. And was that the the 80s when she was starting to really build? That just goes to show, actually, even a big name like Marianne Williamson, that she starts off with yeah. these tiny little venues yeah. and now everybody's heard her name. Mm. So it just goes to show where everyone's journey begins. Yeah. No, well, maybe now we've just been talking about how you can blow up on TikTok, but 
everybody seems to have had that journey where it's putting in the hard work yeah. and understanding the process. And you were around at the, like you say, on the cusp of this all really becoming much more of a, a norm. Mm. So that must have been such an interesting time. Yeah, it really was. And I think also in that, um, you know, when you have something to say, um, you say it in whatever way you can. I mean, she is an, I mean, she's an amazing orator, you know, she can hold an audience and she must have known that about herself, that she could do that. That was her forum. Yeah. But, you know, you write or you, uh, there, I think you, it comes out yes. uh, in whatever way that feels aligned to you. And yeah. I think that that stayed with me, that there is something to be said. I just didn't know what to do with it. I knew I felt very aligned with all of that. And I thought, could I do that? Could I? I'm like, why would people listen to me? And why would that be my thing? So I, I think it was like a, a beginning of feeling like I had something to say, but I didn't know what I was going to say. Mm. And I had no idea where it was going to take me. So it was sort of parked, you know, somewhere. But it's still um, like a little fire burning. Yeah, a little fire burning. So what happens next? So you spent how long in LA? I've spent five years there. And then I... Um, Moved back to Sweden very, very briefly and met my husband-to-be uh, in Sweden and um, basically came to England. He imported me, I, I used to joke, and he <laughs> sort of, um, you know, it was very, very quick and, and all of a sudden I was here and felt like an absolute lost soul because yeah. it was such a different environment. Um, and yeah, it was very lonely. And I think I had gone from feeling quite lonely as an only child. And yeah, there was, there was quite an isolated time going from that to having this life with all these interesting awakened people, you know, these aligned people, mm. and then coming back to somewhere where I felt like I had to hide myself again. I had to um, choose the face that I showed. So it was a very odd time. How old were you at that point? So I was 25. Wow, really mm. young as well. Mm. You probably didn't feel that young because you'd left yeah. Sweden, gone to America, gone to LA, had all these amazing conversations. Yeah. And then was it straight into London that you came? Yeah. You? So yeah, straight into London. Very different energy. Very different energy. And it wasn't that aligned then in the way that it is now I felt like it was very people were quite reserved mm -hmm. um, and I hadn't obviously had the school years here with people so it was a you know I came as a as an alien and, and yes. I started out in central London um, because a friend of mine had a flat and we stayed there for a while and that was easier because there was quite an international community and everything but then we moved outside a little bit to the suburbs where, I mean, I felt completely lost. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was not sort of the highlight, but I threw myself into work. I started working for in tech, which was fun and it was young and I traveled loads and I met some really lovely people. Um, and I sort of parked that feeling of, you know, self-development and all yeah. of that to the back of my mind. And yeah, so, so there was a few years there where I sort of, you know, was a worker and had fun and was young and all of that. It, it never quite left. And I kept on reading. I kept on questioning. And, um, and I think we all have lessons in our lives where, uh, where we have things to explore. You know, for some people, it's a work thing. For other people, it's relationships. And I think for me, there was always a relationship that I was looking for. There was something that I was searching for in terms of, I guess, maybe coming home or, or feeling understood. Yeah. Um, so I kept on this, this journey of, 
well, learning and going on courses. And I left the corporate world and set up on my own um, in PR, um, kept on working with the tech companies, but on my own terms. So there was definitely a drive to become more of an entrepreneur and yes. do things in my own way. And That's interesting. Yeah. Because you obviously, that, that just links back into the only child thing. There was obviously something within you that you needed to do it on your own. Mm. There were, yes, you could be part of a team, but it feels like you travelled on your own. Yeah. You came back. Uh, you came to the UK with your with your to be husband, but you know you did the tech stuff, and then you went back to being on your own, mm. working for yourself. There was obviously a strong part of you that part where you you want to do things on your own terms. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah, it is. And I think it's only recently that I've realized how much of a driving force that has been because, you know, I never really had anyone to discuss things with or to, you know, sort of see what someone else's opinion was. I mean, that was just not in me to to ask. Yeah. You know, I was such a self-sufficient lone wolf mm. that if there was something I was going to do, I just started it. Mm. Um, so I went through several incarnations. You know, I went, I had an online business selling interior things. I did an MA in history of art. And, and then I had my children. Um, and again, that was a defining moment. You know, um, I had to stop all my business. My son was quite unwell when he was young. So there was some, some years where I, went into the mum at home mm. mode. Um, How was that for you out of interest? Um, it was, um, I mean, it was lovely to be able to do that. I think I've always been doing stuff in the background. I've always been planning to do something or there's something brewing. And mm. so there, there was always stuff, mm. but it wasn't necessarily coming to fruition. You were more a thinker and a creator in your mind yeah. and didn't have the time or the space to put that into action yeah, at the time. Exactly. But there was never a time where I just thought this is all there is. Mm. Um, I'm glad it was like that because that is a big part of my identity is a mother. I mean, mm. that is sort of, you know, if I'm going to make success out of anything, like I want it to be that. Yeah. So that feels really important. Um, I don't want to look back and think, oh my God, you know, I wasn't there. But so that was lovely. Um, but there was always that thing of wanting to create things, of wanting to do things. And I think all of us in a way have something that yeah. we are not perhaps necessarily listening to, mm. we, we, you know, we're not tuning into that frequency. So we carry on with, you know, with the relationship or the job we have or the, the lifestyle that other people have, because that's just what we do. Um, and I think there are some pivotal moments often in someone's life, like, a, you know, for me, it was my separation from my kid's father. Yes. That, um, that shifted you know, my perspective on things. Mm. Um, but I'm, I'm sure it can be lots of other things. But for me, that was a big moment of, you know, who am I mm. in this new space? It was quite um, acrimonious and it was, a, it was a difficult time. I think the whole stress of the situation really took its toll. So I became very ill uh, frequently. So I, I mean, I, I got colds, I got um, tonsillitis, I got all of that constantly. I, was, I would never felt like I was strong, that my immune system was working and went to the States to see one of my friends who 
had just jumped on the green juice wagon and was selling its virtues to me. She had some autoimmune issues that had really improved since she started doing the juicing and reducing a lot of the processed food and all of that. So I came home sort of feeling, okay, this is, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to start a new chapter. I'm going to do this juicing. I'm going to change the way I eat. I'm going to go on this path and 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 heal myself because this was when this book by Chris Carr came out as well. You can heal your crazy, sexy, something like that anyway. Has she done more than one? Yeah. 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 She did one on cancer and she did one on something That's right. Else, yeah. You know? So I really dived into it, like I do with most things. You know, I go all in and completely changed the way my health was, the way I felt, uh, my immune system, all of that completely changed. And I got so motivated by the fact that I had done something myself um, that had shifted and changed my perspective, the way I felt, the, my, my health. So that I set up this juice business. I started juicing and um, started to deliver my juices locally in where I lived. Um, I did juice fasts and, and, and detox programs for people. And I really, you know, my dream at that point uh, was very, I mean, it was very limited. You know, I, I thought if I could just have a juice bar, <laughs> my life would be complete. That, wow. that was my, like, I thought I could spread that thing that I had buried inside me through a juice bar. Mm-hmm. You know, like that felt like the, the perfect manifestation of what I wanted to do. I wanted everyone to feel the way I felt and experience what I felt. So that was a, a wonderful uh optimistic new start for, mm. for for me and for, you know, a little family. So in that, I came across quite a few people who struggled with their health and their uh, mindset. They had issues with digestion. They had issues with negative thinking. And I couldn't understand why they chose to make um, well, what, why they would make food choices, for example, or or even the way they thought, why they would keep on doing something that so evidently didn't support them, mm. didn't nurture them, didn't strengthen them. You know, I, I really struggled with understanding because I was quite black and white in that way. You know, if something was working, I'd do it. Yeah. Uh, and I realized that not everyone's like that. And why aren't everyone like that? Why you know, knowing that you have issues with whether that's weight loss or or depression or whatever, knowing that there are some things that's going to be beneficial for you, why don't you do that? That was fascinating to me. Yeah. So I thought, okay, there's something much bigger than just willpower going on here. There's this willpower is just not enough. Um, and then as it happens, a friend of mine said that she was going to go on a hypnotherapy course and it just clicked. I just thought, yeah, that's, I need to learn about the brain. I need to learn why people make these choices, why they continue in this little cycle mm. despite knowing it doesn't serve them. So it was a real sort of epiphany of, you know, there is something here that's bigger than just the knowledge. Yes. There was something more than just knowledge. Which is which then takes us into that subconscious yeah. and that automatic yeah. thought, feelings, behaviors. And and what's interesting is that decision mm. to move to LA mm-hmm. 
took you on this journey mm. of of like the fire started and then you know you get married and you have this this um, moment in life where it kind of all changes mm. all of a sudden and it's at a time where these things aren't spoken about openly so your way of healing was actually through the body first mm. and through healing the body you yeah. found the mind exactly but it had already started all those years ago mm. um and you said you'd parked it it was kind of always there somewhere but mm-hmm. you hadn't really had the opportunity i guess or even the right moment the timing cuz it's all timing but this thing happens to you and you feel alone isolated it's not something that people would understand if you tried to talk to them about you know why your marriage has ended um now I think people are much more understanding. We'd be like, okay, well, you know, hope you're okay. But then it would have been more difficult to talk about the, I guess, the the moments that we would so openly talk about now. Mm. So then your intrigue into why people weren't looking after themselves and why they were ruminating on these negative, it just takes you down a totally different path. Yeah. And that's really phenomenal because if we look at all those we spoke about the dots earlier didn't we but we look about all the dots that have joined up mm-hmm. and made this path which is very unique for you um although there's lots of hypnotherapists and mindset coaches and psychotherapists each person you speak to has got this really interesting beginning middle and end and i think what's really interesting about your story is that you have never just gone oh okay that's it then you know the juice thing or, or the marriage, that's me done. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you say, you know, your marriage was quite acrimonious and you went off and did an, an MA, but you met people along the way, didn't you? Whether it be because of the marriage breakup, some really supportive people and people that help you get through that acrimonious phase, or whether it be people that you meet on your juicing journey, all the people you met took you to the next step. And here we are now. Yeah. And now um, you are working as a hypnotherapist and mindset coach Mm -hmm. and you're still developing and learning and and all of that stuff. What's the most interesting thing about what you do? Because when I tell people I'm a psychotherapist using hypnotherapy, whatever, they say, oh, that's so interesting. But actually it's, I always say it's far more simple than you'll ever really understand until you, you start doing it and and all of that because it's about the repetition. Mm-hmm. Repetition is recognition, getting into the subconscious, uh, using visualization, trying to sort of um, break down those critical layers that that make people believe that they can't possibly do. People say can't all the time, don't they? And actually they mean won't. Yeah. And it's like getting into the subconscious and getting them to see what perhaps they can't see yeah. when they're stuck in their head. So what's the most interesting thing for you about the work that you do? I think it's it's the conversation and giving, you know, everyone comes with a story that for them is very unique mm. and very different. And you can tell that this is something they've been thinking about for most of their life. There's something there, whether they feel that they're a little bit more rubbish than other people or that they flawed or there is something there that is almost shameful. Mm. Um, and when they hear that this is something that most of the people that I talk to have, when that they share this with 90% of the population, there is this sense of letting that weight drop 
Yeah. That I don't, this isn't just me. This isn't me. Mm. This is the way I've been thinking. This mm. is something I've been thinking over and over. That's all it is. It's mm. one thought, two thoughts, three thoughts that I have constantly recycled over and over. I love that moment when there is this relief mm. that maybe it isn't me. Mm. Maybe there isn't something wrong with me. Maybe I'm okay. And maybe there is a, a way out of this. Yeah. So I think it's sitting down with someone. And and we were talking about that earlier, that it's really interesting when you get to talk to people that actually have, you know, that doesn't just come for the phobias, the phobias yeah. or something, but actually, you know, there is something about they've lacked confidence most mm. of their lives or they've had a difficult relationship with, you know, growing up and therefore that's affecting their relationship as adults mm. or or, or just that sense of worth, mm. you know, I can't have that. Other people can, mm. but I don't think it's available for me. Mm. And I think that, I love that. Yeah. And so, because I can identify with all of that, you know, there was times when I didn't think that I could do certain things. But I think when you strike something that feels so aligned with you, mm. there is a confidence that comes almost for free. Yeah. Um, because you feel like, I, I, whether it's because you've lived it or you've experienced it, or it just resonates mm. so much with you that you feel like, actually, I've got something to offer here. I've got yeah. something to to give. So I feel that these meaningful conversations that I've always wanted in my life, I have them all the time with mm. my clients. You know, we have that one-to-one, -one, that sense of hearing, mm. you know, I'm, I'm listening, and then they get to feel heard. Mm. So it is... It is um, I feel that that is what I love. It's beautiful. Yeah. Because how many times do you hear from your clients, and I hear this all the time, I've never felt heard or seen. Mm. And that's probably the most traumatic thing for anybody because the things that happen to us can, of course, create the clinical trauma. Mm -hmm. But it's not being seen or heard or feeling yeah. valid or valuable or, you know, intelligent or beautiful or all of those things. Mm -hmm. And you, like you say, you can carry this seed of, I'm not enough mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And when you realize that so many other people feel like they're not enough, like you say, you sort of go, okay, so if that's, if that's what other people think, maybe I'm just human. Mm -hmm. And if I'm just human and there's a way to fix it, mm. not necessarily take it away, but grow mm. something new around it that makes me look at myself slightly differently, then I can actually find some peace and I can find some contentment and maybe happiness, maybe love, but those things can come next. We're going to look at what we can cultivate around this belief that will shrink it all the way down. Mm. And I think that's really beautiful is that, especially doing our work, we'll see people day in, day out. And we realize that we're only human too. Mm. And that we can be honest about that humanness because there's a thing, and I'm sure it happens with you, where people do put you on a bit of a pedestal. They mm. come to see you for help and they think that you're there to solve everything for them at first and I often say to people remember this isn't a linear line there's not like the magic wand there's not like six steps that we'll take and you'll be cured it doesn't work like that no. I'm human you're human we have to work organically build the rapport get to know each other but there are these strategies there are these steps that we'll take together Mm -hmm. but they'll be your steps because it's you. Mm. And once they realize that you're human, they're human, we're all human, 
they're allowing themselves to be vulnerable then yeah because they know that they're safe they're safe and i think that's the thing that we've said a lot today isn't it as well that safety is key in everything it's i don't think anything comes from anything unless you feel safe, safe and yeah. i think the lovely thing is when you feel safe uh no you know these people are from all different walks of life and when when they discover that they can feel safe all of a sudden there's inspiration and creativity coming yeah. through because all of a sudden that now can come up. You yeah. know, it's like the Maslow hierarchy of yeah, needs. Yeah. Where you cannot be creative yeah. if you don't feel safe. It yeah. doesn't happen. Yeah. So all of a sudden in their own businesses and in their own lives, they are starting to take up more space. Mm. They're starting to feel like actually maybe I am worthy of, of more. Maybe I can put those boundaries in place because boundaries is a big topic. Um, without Massive. the boundaries, you know, and that's the self-care element. If, if, you know, we teach people how to treat us when we set the boundary, yeah. you know, we can't rely on other people knowing when enough is enough. We, we have to, have tell to set, set yeah. that boundary ourselves so that we can, you know, feel protected. Mm. Um, and when people stop, because most people are on some form or shape, uh, people pleasing yeah, to, to be loved and to be accepted and to be uh, included and mm. all of those things. And so when you start setting boundaries, it can be a very lonely place mm. because people won't like it. Oh, yes. Mm. And that's if you haven't felt enough mm. and all of a sudden you're putting boundaries in place yeah. and people don't like it, it can trigger that, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. No, and I you need want to back paddling yeah. again. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's definitely a journey. Mm -hmm. For you as well, I mean, the, the, the moment that I started to uh, understand the subconscious, because it, I, I kind of want to touch on that a little bit, actually, because I think we, we hear about the subconscious quite a lot. Um, but I don't think a lot of people really understand it. So I often throw facts and figures out there just to keep it simple. But 95% approximately of our thinking is subconscious thinking. Only 5% is conscious. Um, Many, many years ago when I was training, they used to sort of talk about the subconscious as the abstract form of the brain. But actually, we know that the brain and the mind are much more the same thing now. Because essentially, and this is how I describe it, I don't know about you, but I always say repetition is recognition. So all of the neurological wiring inside the brain will be because of the repetition. Um, I always reference for clients the ABCs. When we were at school, we learn A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And we, we learn it with a little tune in a, in a certain way, but we don't learn it backwards. Mm -hmm. So we know it off by heart, forwards. We don't know off by heart, backwards, because that's the, the way we've learned it. It's automatic in our head. Same with your times tables or learning another yeah. language. It stays automatic up there as a, as a wire, as a circuit, as a sequence. But then there's the implicit memory storage in the brain as well, which is the cerebellum. And there's all these different ways that your brain holds information that you don't necessarily have to think about. And that's automatic. Mm. And then there's the sort of experiences that you've had that are unique to you, be it the trauma, be it the fact that you've moved around a lot as a child or your parents have separated. And that sort of gives you that unique perspective. And because the brain's not fully developed until we're 21, especially the front part, everything that goes in is analyzed based on what we we know, what we see. So that nature-nurture mm -hmm. combination of, of how we develop and the genetic predispositions and generational traumas that we take on all comprise the subconscious as well as how the heart beats, how we move our hands and feet. And all of that is subconscious. All of that is automatic. And once you get people to say, you know, maybe two or three things 
uh, that might have gone on in their life. They might have moved house 10 times as a child. Mm. They might be an only child. They might have experienced some sort of trauma within the family. You can certainly for me, and I I guess for you, you can start to see, ah, that might be why your self-worth isn't quite where it it could be. And actually that belief system is frozen Mm -hmm. in your mind. And every time you go to do something, you're coming from the eyes of the 11-year-old or the five-year-old. And actually we need to change that perspective. And with hypnotherapy, we just relax them, don't we? We do the progressive muscle relaxation. We get them to be relaxed, bypass that analytical layer, brainwaves nice and slow, new information going in. And I always say when you slow the brainwaves down, the new information goes in so much more easily. You're, yeah. you're not thinking consciously anymore. You're just there in a lovely dozy state. Now the information which is aligned to you because we've done that work is just settling in. And that repetition will strengthen it. And it really is that simple. Mm. But they have to feel safe with the therapist. They have to feel safe with the therapist. And I think also they have to, on some level, be open to yes. believe. Yeah. Um, you know, there there are times when you meet someone that you know that they are very shut off and they are li- really looking for that magic wand yeah. for someone to do something uh, to them. And I think, but I think the hypnotherapy is changing. I think the, the reputation of hypnotherapy yes. is changing. So I think it's becoming more accepted, um, and seen as the go-to thing to have. Yeah. Uh, if there is something that, if you want to try a different route. Mm. Um, so, so I've noticed that I've noticed Definitely. that there's, there's a lot less explaining needed yeah. of what it is yeah. compared to when I started. Yes. So, so, so I feel I find that that's interesting because I think the the, the whole topic of mental health has changed. You know, yeah. it's much more acceptable. Yeah, um, we start to also, and I, I noticed that that there is a more um, there is a linking of things of that actually that you know maybe this is because my father left when I was two. Maybe this yeah. is because of that. So people are making you know it's not just the the head and the body now. Because of that, because of the trauma we experience, because of the things that happen to us, it will have symptoms maybe in our body as well. Yeah. So we will have IBS, so we will have stress, you know, worry and stress that we feel in our in our body. Yeah. So and I think that that that's really important, the the mind-body connection thing, because again, it's one of those things that people hear, but they perhaps through Instagram and TikTok, but perhaps they don't delve into. And it's when you go to see a coach or a therapist, mm-hmm. you actually learn, oh, cranial nerves linked to the body, cortisol, adrenaline, that can you know do some damage to the microbiome in the gut and that has an impact on our neurotransmitters. And we know so much more now. Mm-hmm. The problem is though, I think knowledge can be great, but one of my clients um, said, I think it was yesterday or the day before actually, she said, my problem is I know everything. Yeah. And she said, I read everything, I listen to everything, and I still don't feel better. And I think that's where the therapist comes in because we could probably go, okay, well, let's do less talking and more doing. And hypnotherapy, EMDR, those types of of therapies, mindfulness, all of that stuff, it actually doesn't have to be about just talking anymore. Sometimes people can talk themselves into trauma, actually, because they can be re-triggered. Hypnotherapy, EMDR meditation, mindfulness, they take you outside of the thought process, which allows the deeper work to be done. 
Yeah. I think that's what's really beautiful about it. It's a very gentle, I always say it's the most gentle way because you're right. Sometimes the talking isn't the thing. Sometimes you do some of the talking to find out what it is that they're yeah. struggling with. And then you realize that what they need is to be, to feel safe, to yeah. be held, to, yeah. to have that sense of, well, just being here in this safe space and relaxing and letting go of holding on yeah. to all these balls that they're balancing up in the air, which is exhausting. Yeah. I mean, most people are exhausted by that, you know, that software that's running constantly in the background. Yes. That they're not even aware of. They're You're not right. aware of their stress. They're not aware of their anxieties. They're not aware of the responsibilities that they have subconsciously adopted and yes. taken into their, you know, their. So I think. Being able to do that and give people that space to sit down or lie down in my case, you know, and just let it all go. Yes. And letting the muscles relax and letting your voice wash over them. Yeah. And tuning in sometimes and then disappearing off at the next moment. Yeah, definitely. It's it's so in and healing. out. Yeah. yeah. So I always, healing. I said this in the TED Talk actually, I, I always say to people, it's like watching a film, you know, the bit where you start to doze off, mm -hmm. but you can still hear the sound in the yeah. background, but you're not really listening consciously anymore. But it's almost that comforting, muffled background sound. That's what the, the hypnotherapist voice can become. It's just there with you, but, and you know it's there, but you're not really clinging on to it because you've just gone into this lovely, deep relaxation. Yeah. And there's a lovely moment for me when, you know, you do the one, two, three, four, five, open your eyes. And they open their eyes and you can see like they're still, they've been there, but they're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. that's that really big sight. It's the first time for such a long time yeah. that they've just let themselves go without falling necessarily into a deep, deep sleep, but just let themselves go. And you, you notice, and I remember my very first training session in hypnotherapy many, many, many years ago. And I remember we we did this group experiment and I thought, oh God, I hate doing group stuff. I hate doing group stuff so much. But the the person that was leading the lecture, they just said, right, we're just going to do a little relaxation exercise. This is kind of what hypnotherapy will feel like. But, you know, you're sitting on an uncomfortable chair in a, in a lecture hall, so it's probably not going to feel great. And I remember thinking, this isn't going to work. This isn't, I'm not going to be able to relax. Anyway, I said, Ella, just just follow this person's voice. Just do it. You know, you're here to learn. So I did. And I had had this really stiff neck going into my right shoulder. It just felt like some, like whiplash. You know, when you've had a car, it's a bit like whiplash, real headache. And I, I'm convinced this isn't going to go anywhere for me. I'm, I'm just not going to let this person, but you've got to, you, you know, it was conflict. You've got to let this happen. It's not going to happen. You've got to let this happen. Within about 10 minutes, I was like, can't feel the pain in my neck and shoulders anymore. Where's it gone? And I just remember thinking, wow, mm. I'm in a room full of like 50 people. These people I do not know. This person whose voice I'm listening to, I have no idea who they are. I have lost all that tension in my neck and shoulders. Mm. And I remember thinking then, if this all is ever done for people, then it's worth it. Yeah. Because it just shows you how much you're holding on. And it's that moment you said there, the first time they've let go or mm -hmm. you know it's the and it's being safe to let go and I actually yeah. did not feel safe to let go mm -hmm. but I still did because I wanted to experience yeah. it and then when I started to really use hypnotherapy and I, I did all the sort of 
hypnotherapy for not smoking and hypnotherapy for losing weight as, as everyone thinks it's that kind of magic wand stuff. And I did all of that in the early years and people still want to do it now. And I'm not really interested in the stop smoking work, although I was very, very good at it. Mm. And I remember seeing one person, I must've had about 30 of his friends and they all stopped smoking. It was wonderful, but it just didn't float my boat. Although I was good at it, mm. I actually, a bit like you, I wanted to get to the, the depths of the person. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see the person. I wanted to hear the person. I yeah. wanted to really work with that individual. I didn't want to just help them to stop smoking. I wanted them to see that they were valid. They were they were very important actually because we all are. We all have something very unique and wonderful to offer the world. Yeah. And if you can let someone open up mm. and you can let someone find their value, then they can go off and do tremendous things. And it's that paying it forward, isn't yeah. it? It Paying is. it forward. Because I'm thinking, you know, the we were talking about the joining the dots and, and how how life is a journey and how you, you know, looking back, you can see that it all makes sense. Yeah. But it didn't at the time. And so now when you, you speak to clients and you think, well, you know, it's never too late. It's yes. never not enough. You know, you yeah. just carry on with going it. Because I think the thing is when you follow what feels right for you when you follow the things that light you up or that inspires you or that just resonates you know like following you resonated with me yeah right there was there was stuff you were saying that totally aligned with me and when we stop questioning that uh and trying to analyze it, you know, using that conscious part of our brain to, to make sense of things. And when we shut that off for a little bit and just say, what does it feel like? Does it feel intuitively right? Mm. Um, the more we begin to follow that, the more things just unfold. And I think that we are so good at stopping ourselves as, you know, it's too late mm. or I don't have enough qualifications or I, I have too many or, you know, I'm too old or I'm too whatever it is. It's interesting, isn't it? That that we have all these rules and that we've learned them somewhere. This is the interesting thing about the brain, like the brain, the way it's wired, you're just repeating what you've heard. You may not know you've heard that. And that's so interesting. You know, you said there about, I haven't got the qualifications, Mm -hmm. little story. Uh, Got a puppy a little while ago, a few weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, after my dog was attacked. Mm. Okay. So the puppy comes into the house and the dog, Sid, the older dog, not happy about this. I obviously think I've made the worst decision of my life. What have I done to my poor Sid? I've got this little, you know, baby now that I've got to look after this little puppy. And I don't know if I can do this because Sid's just not happy. Anyway, I get this lovely dog behaviorist in called Annie. And Annie comes in within half an hour. Everything's fine. Dogs are okay. And obviously my anxiety over that was stopping me from being able to see what I should do because I was scared. I was scared that Sid was going to attack Walter and that Walter was going to be, Walter's the puppy, that Walter was going to be absolutely destroyed and traumatized forever. And as a psychotherapist, you think, oh no, I can't do that. So Annie came in and Annie charged a ridiculously low price, which I told her immediately she needs to put up because she's so good. And we're talking away and she said, what did I do? And I said, I was a psychotherapist. And she was like, amazing. And we were chatting away and she said, um, I haven't got any qualifications. And I was like, no way. Because what I'm not going to say what Annie charges, but let's just say it's very, very low. And there were people out there charging, doing the same, doing less. And I'd heard reasonably bad reviews about these people. They were charging £500. And Annie was charging so much less. 
And I said to Annie, you need to put your prices up because you're so good. She said, they've got PhDs and they've got this. I said, yeah, but I've not heard great things about these people. They might be intellectual, but they're not doing what you've just done. You've just come in and changed my life in like half an hour. Mm. And I asked her to come on the podcast because I actually thought what she did for me was so phenomenal and for the dogs actually more so. But if I'm not okay, they're not okay, right? And the fact that she didn't have the qualification, but she just had this alignment. She left her job in the corporate world. She she was aligned with this work with the dogs and she's brilliant at it. And the fact that she didn't have qualifications didn't stop her. And she doesn't need qualifications. She might need to, you know, do some training or whatever as she goes forward. I think she did some sniffer training for dogs. So she's done bits and bobs, but this bit, she's just natural, babe. She's a natural. But I think it is never a, com- well, often it isn't a knowledge gap, it's a confidence gap. That's right. And so for her to be confident enough to charge more, yeah, uh, that's where the thing is. Yeah. Because, you know, and, and sometimes a qualification can make us feel like we have the right now. Yeah, to do you're things. right. Yeah, it's the uh, right yeah. to do it. We can't possibly do this. And there's another lady actually who's a life coach who I've known for a long time and she's been doing life coaching for ages. She hasn't got a single qualification, but she's phenomenal as a coach. And I think we have to stop, like you say, we have to stop putting all these yes, but, mm-hmm. yes, but, what if, I can't mm-hmm. because, because they're just things other people have said. Well, we're also very worried about being exposed. Yes. I mean, we are so worried about exposure. We were worried about that people are going to see us for who we truly are, which is a fraud, yeah, you know, right? Yeah, it's yeah. That, that fear that we all have, despite knowing that what we do is great and that we yeah. get good results and that, um, you know, there, there is this fear of being, yeah. I guess, humiliated and yeah. exposed that possibly stems from something, you know, in Earlier school on. play yeah. or something. Of course where, it where, is. Yeah. It's usually what you've heard. Yeah. What's been said, what's not been said, how you've been treated. Yeah. And you saying that is so true because I have to say, although I very much enjoy learning, I am not the therapist that I was trained to be. I am Ella yeah. and I've got my style. Yeah. And even if I offer my style of work, my method to other people, I very much expect that they will eventually mold that around themselves because actually everybody is unique. And, and the people that align with you and want to work with you choose you yes they might want to know I mean I have to say after 20 years it's very rare that any I think twice I've been asked qualifications they're there and available if they want them but they don't actually ask Mm. and and that's because they trust me Mm -hmm. Um, maybe it's because they don't know to ask whatever and if they asked it would be fine but the point is is that it's not the be all and end all and that that is really a metaphor for everything you know, you, you don't need to be defined by a piece of paper. You know, it's like marriage. We get married because that's what people do. But does it change the relationship? Is I'm not saying there's anything wrong with marriage. What I'm saying is pieces of paper don't define us. I think what, what I, I often see with people is they're so defined by the rules, by the piece of paper, by what they've been told they should and shouldn't do, that they're locked inside their own mind and they can't find a way of just growing on their own because they've lost trust in that intuition, which is what you referenced there. That inner voice has been dampened down by you should do this, you shouldn't do that. These are the rules. Don't break the rules. Don't go against the rules because if you do, you're bad. And that does start in school and childhood. And I think it's fundamentally why people don't 
feel their way through life. It's not safe yeah. to feel their way through because they're judged. Yeah. And then, and because essentially we are all unique individuals. And I think you're right. I don't practice hypnotherapy the way I was trained. No. I don't practice coaching the way. I, so, so all of that, it's, it becomes who you are and yes. you're right. It's, it's, people will align with you or they will not. Yes. And, and that's okay because mm. you, you've got to, you know, that's your strength. That's your unique selling point. Yeah. That's your special source. It is being exactly. you. Um, and we were talking about that earlier, but we need lots of different voices. We need different books. You know, yeah. the books may be roughly about the same things, but we need the different tones and yes. the different voices and the different nuances. Mm. Um, and it's interesting, you know, you have had friends recommend books to you and you read it and you think, wow, I really don't align I with that. I know, isn't that interesting? I don't think I like you, but I don't yeah. like what you've recommended because, yeah. you know, that that can happen. Yeah. So, which is why we need, you know, we need to have people that share with their, their truth and, 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 and the way they see you know how what we do in in hypno or in in psychotherapy yeah. or in counseling you know yeah. we need that we need to have the different voices and and it's one of the things that i've discussed on this podcast before actually is that when i trained you know you're pretty much told you blank canvas don't mm -hmm. don't give too much away it's about that's the person centered approach actually it's about the person but actually again i went against that grain because there was people i was working with and i was like I could really say something here that would be of benefit, but I'm not sure if I'm allowed. So I'd say it anyway, because <laughs> I'm a bit of a rebel and it would help them. Yeah. And that led me on to then sharing that story more widely or, you know, elements of my story more widely, because I realized that you, I, I said to you earlier, I didn't have a representation of someone that had gone through what I went through. There is now. But there wasn't 30 years ago. People weren't open about childhood sexual abuse. They weren't open about childhood sexual abuse within the family. They weren't open about self-harm or disordered eating or any of these things, actually. And I, and I just remember thinking, I'm mad. I, I am mentally unwell and nobody else is like me. Mm. I'm the, quite egotistical, actually, but I'm the only one yeah, that's mentally we feel ill. feel that way. Yeah, you feel position, alone. Yeah. And... Um, and I, and and I, I told you earlier some of the stories about the um, the the incidents with with medical professionals, and they were not uh, well trained in trauma or or any of these things. And and so when when I started to share a little bit about you know in a session, I'd say, look, you know, I, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say this. I was really nervous. Now I just say, look, let me tell you. <laughs> but at the time, I was, I'm not sure if I should tell you this, but I just feel like it would be helpful and. The more you tell people, they say, oh, that's why you get it. I mm -hmm. felt like you got me and now I know why. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they didn't feel ashamed anymore. You mentioned that shame mm. earlier that Huge people carry. Feeling, yeah. yeah. And if, if I could say to them, look, you know, I used to cut my arms and it's not pretty and, and I, I hid it for ages. And if I, if I met anybody for the first time, I'd make sure my arms were covered because I was so desperately embarrassed. Now I'm just like, yeah, I did that when I was younger. I wasn't very well. And, you know, I use it now to, to reassure others that they're going to be okay mm. because I can, yeah. I can say to them, okay, so you've got some scars on your arm. How do you feel about that? And a lot of people will say this, but I say, that is a map. Yeah. That's a map of your journey. Yeah. And when you're older, you're going to look at that and say, that's where I was. 
And then you're going to look around you and say, this is where I am. Mm. And it's going to be a reminder of how far you've come. Yeah. Right now, you don't believe that, but that's the truth. And you can sort of see them going, oh, okay, I've not thought of it like that before. The only reason I can share that is because I've been there, done that, worn that t-shirt, and I'm not ashamed of it anymore. And I don't care if other people don't want to hear that. I think we have to share the we truth. We have to share the truth. Yeah. And we have to share that. And it takes bravery and vulnerability to share it. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, like I said before, that even if two people picks up on something that you're saying that's helpful for them, that's mm. worth it. Yeah. It's definitely worth it. And I I mean, I, I was saying before as well, I'm, I work in a secondary school um, some days and, uh, you know, things have not really improved, I don't think. No. It's still, um, you know, there's a huge problem. There's yeah. a huge need for young people to be heard and to yeah. be taken seriously. Yes, that's uh, so true. Yeah, because yeah. they there there are reasons why they do what they do, and they're being put in a system where there is a waiting list and where no one can see them and where there is there is no hope. And they know that. Yeah, they are aware mm. of the futility. They know they have learned to not trust adults yes because what's happening who's taking care of this yeah. who's doing something so yeah. it is really you know it's needed so i think you know in any way whether that's a book form or or talking like this or whatever it is it's you know there is help to be had there are yeah. people that are around to listen and that's why it's so important that you've shared you know moments of your story there be it a young girl that Here's this that wants to travel that goes, oh my gosh, mm. she went to LA, that's great. I'd like to do that. Mm. Or whether it's someone who's going through a marriage breakup and they don't feel like they can tell anyone what's been going on or whether it's someone that wants to change career. Mm. You know, they're going to hear parts of what you've said today and go, that's interesting. Mm. You know, I, I may not have thought that yeah. it was possible. Even if a friend, you notice that. Uh, you've probably listened to a lot of podcasts on various different subjects as have I. You might have heard the same information 10 times before, but there's something that the way that you heard it in that particular podcast yeah. or that interview or that audio book and you go, oh, I get it now. And I don't know what it is about that moment. Mm. It's what you were saying, like someone will recommend a book and it just doesn't resonate with you at that time. But then you might hear that same information delivered on a, an Instagram, two minute Instagram. It's like that hit me. Yeah. And, and so many people are, lucky now to have all this information but I think the reason I, I invited you is because I said to you earlier didn't I? I said I feel like you're quite a slick Instagram in the fact that you get the most important messages out quite quickly and they're, they're good positive psychology messages and I think that if we're all feeding that into the world in whatever way be it through our social media or be it through our work or who we're with and what we do we are actually making a positive difference because and I say this, the conversations that I have about the news, what's happening in the world, you know, with the clients that are really bogged down, that they, they probably watch too much mm. news or read too much newspaper or whatever. And they're all really scared yeah. of the way the world is, um, be it knife crime or, or, which is a real serious problem. But, you know, if you, if you focus on those things and you're not listening to the positive psychology stuff or you're not listening to the podcast or reading the books or spending time with people having those deep conversations like you would have done at such a young age, then the world is a scary, dark yeah. place. And I feel like that's what you offer. You offer that little bit of sunshine, be it in your work or whatever. And I think that's really important. Yeah. Sunshine people are really important. I think you're right. And I think it's difficult to not tune into the narrative that goes on around us. 
And at the same time, we do have that choice. And I yes. think that short knowing that we have choices yes. is such freedom yeah. because we can exercise that mm. and we can decide actually, you know, I may have been a person who've been hooked on all kinds of news channels. I may have been a person who worried about everything, but I can change that. Yeah. I can decide from, you know, I can decide now, you know, yeah. I will make a conscious effort to do less, even if it means I, I stop watching the, the evening news and maybe mm. I just watch them in the morning so mm. I have the day to soften. Whatever it is, we have choices. And I think there's always going to be a narrative. There's always going to be something going on around us that we can focus on. And, and you know, we don't have a lot of um, protection from stuff. Like we absorb a lot yes, of stuff. We do, so we yeah. have to be really mindful of what we choose yeah. to take in. Yeah. Um, I think it was Wayne Dwyer who said, uh, you know, I can't afford, I don't consider myself to be able to afford thinking negative thoughts yes. because it costs me too much. Yeah. And I think there's something really in that. So yes, we can think about the economy and we can think about the time of the world and what's going on. Or we can think about, you know, what is around me? What what do I value? What difference can I make today? Mm. What What is the little thing that will light up my day today and mm. then just stop there. Mm. You know, we don't have to know what's going to happen two months from now. Mm. We can just sort of zoom in a bit and yes. just do, what can we do now? And what can I do today that I know is going to make me feel good when I go to bed tomorrow yeah. night? You know, those little things are completely in our control. Yes. Um, even though they might feel very Pollyanna-ish, Mm. they still make a huge impact on your brain because your brain will listen to that. The last thing when you think about at night, you know, what did I do that I felt really good about today? Even if it was something small mm. um, and you fall asleep with that and you wake up and, you know, it just starts to change. Yeah, because it's the chain it's effect. The chain it's the effect. linking yeah. it. And, and I said some yesterday actually in here in, in session and I said, uh, I haven't been able to train for a while. I've got this little injury and actually I could have trained I could have trained other parts of my body, but I actually realized now that I was saying, oh, I can't train, okay? But interestingly enough, it didn't actually deter me from wanting to train again. You know, some people train and then they give up and they never go back to the gym or go for a walk yeah. or go for a run. Because I always see myself, even though I am not <laughs> an athlete, I always think I am an athlete. And I will move my body and I will get the best out of my body. And that doesn't stop just because I have a blip. That's still who I am up here because that's who I choose to be. Yeah. So even if I, I'm not actioning that, can't action that, won't action that for a period of time for whatever reason, it's the mindset now. And it would have yeah. been those tiny things that I did early on. So what I'm trying to say is I don't panic now right. if I'm not training for three months for whatever reason or if I've made that decision to take a break for whatever reason because that's who I am yeah. because I did those small choices for such a long time. And I think when people say they come in and they say, right, this is my problem and I go, no, 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 that's not your problem. And I use that reference. I'm an athlete. You won't think I'm an athlete, but I'm an athlete. And they'll say, okay, they don't really understand what I'm saying. I'm saying, oh, that's what I've chosen to be. So whatever happens, that's my mindset. You've got the mindset of, I'm a problem. I've got a problem and this is my problem and it belongs to me and it takes over my world and that's what I focus on. And I'm like, let's find who you really are. And it, it does take a while and you might have to do some trauma work and you might have to do some stress work and you might have to do some mindset work and you might have to do, you know, but you'll get there. Yeah. And I think, you know, you can choose to procrastinate 
or you yeah, can choose. It's an to active ju- choice. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And some people say, I don't feel like it's a choice. Mm. And I say, okay, there's a part of you that thinks it's protecting you when you avoid something. So let's get to know that part. Let's not shame it. Let's not be angry at it. Let's not judge it. Let's try and be compassionate with that part. What's happened to you that started you on this journey of avoidance? Was it perfectionism? Because I believe perfectionism and procrastination are cousins. Mm. Because if you're a perfectionist, you're probably likely to procrastinate because you're worried you can't achieve perfection. Fear of failure. Yeah. Yeah. Fear of failure, which leads to a fear of rejection. Mm. Because you feel like if people see me fail, they'll judge. And Mm. what happens when people judge? They push me away. Yeah. Yeah. So I often think that where people say, I I, I know I really struggle with this, is because they haven't understood the part. And that's where I'm really interested in people because you'll see that the problem is massive, but the part of them that has the problem is tiny comparatively. They just haven't looked at all the other areas. They haven't framed it right. They haven't, you can move the frame. Can't you? You can can really broaden your perspective of the same picture and see all the other elements of who you are. And that's what's interesting about hypnotherapy because when you go into that subconscious work, you can bring that that wider perspective with you. That's why I love it so much because you can't always get there with talking because that conscious critical layer is like, no, 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 I don't trust you. I don't want to trust you. I can't trust you, whatever it is. Yeah. But if you change your mind and you say, I am an athlete, I'm not an athlete. But if, if my mind believes I'm an athlete, then I'm still going to train and I'm still going to get those results. I'm just not doing it right now. And, and that doesn't matter because it's up here. And that, that will always pick up again. And I think that's the same with anything. Painting, writing, yeah, um, dancing, mm-hmm. whatever you do. If you're a dancer, don't, don't say, oh, I, I paint a bit. Say I'm a painter. Learn to really embrace that part of you. Because if you're going to say, I have a problem or I am a problem, you're doing the same thing, but in the negative. And that's what you were saying about Wayne Dwyer there. I can't afford to be that way. I can't afford to be that negative person. So for you then, what's the best decision, do you think, out of all those dots that, that you then joined what was the best decision that you made? The fundamental one that started you on a, because it might be further back than when you left Sweden. What do you think was the biggest, best decision that you've ever made? I mean, I think the the things that has made most of a difference to me is to decide to follow um, <clears throat> my own inner voice, you know, to, to be confident in that I'm going to take this route. And I don't think that that is you know, that's something that you, I mean, life is a long game Yeah. and, uh, you know, you come to insights and then you, you hit a curveball and then you come to another insight. But I think it's that decision. And I think it probably came when I became a single mom, probably, um, you know, cause there was a lot of lessons from there. There was a lessons about lessons on, on how to survive on your own, as yeah. in how do you handle money? Mm-hmm. How do you handle, uh, you know, independence in that way of, of structuring life, uh, solo. And, and I mean, the, the father of my kids, he was, he's very much a father. So it's not that I, yeah. he wasn't around, but it's more like, you know, that daily life, mm. uh, was me and the kids. And so how do you navigate that? And where do I need to grow? Where mm. do I need to become more confident? Where do I need to, yeah, to shift my belief of what's possible. So actually the marriage ending really was that fundamental, 
it's not a decision necessarily, but it's the choices that you made at that point were the fundamental choices for, for how you are now. Yeah, I think so. I think at least it started that journey of knowing who I am. And I've, you know, I've had curveballs along the way in terms of relationships, but I think that they have just highlighted that there, I have to follow my own path. And yeah. I think that that is so empowering where, you know, where actually things are okay if you go your own route, you know, you sometimes you don't know the end goal. And, and like you said, with the training, you know, mm -hmm. like it's something you're probably going to do for the rest of yeah, your life. So yeah. who cares about a month or yes, three? You're right. You know, like it's something that perspective. you will continue. It's perspective. Yeah. And, and the same with eating. Yes, of course, you're going to go off piste and you're going to have moments where you just blow the whatever it is that you're on, but you know that you'll come back. Yes. And I think it's, we'll all fall off the wagon, but we'll come back quicker yeah. when we decide to invest in our own journey, our own yeah. selves. And, and trust ourselves. And trust ourselves, you know, to have that, that feels very comforting to me. And I think that is something that I really take with me, mm. with my clients as well, is that, you know, you do have a lot of the answers. Yes. You just, they just sort of packed in with a lot of other stuff but yeah. if we unpack it mm. you know there there is a direction there is a longing mm. there is a desire mm. for something mm. and when you get clear of what that is that is the root and it's so unique to every single person isn't mm, it totally. like you said something there which is probably to you just something you know nothing but you said uh it's all packed in you know and we're unpacking it mm. and, and letting you see it and actually, that's what a therapist really does. You're right. And, and I've said this in lots of different ways, but the way you've just said that then, just to paraphrase it, is you have all the answers, but something that you've identified as a problem has clouded those answers. And we're just going to chip away at that problem and unpack it to show you the answers that you already have. And that's why it's such a unique process. And that's why I really fundamentally don't think that the training or the theories fit everybody. It's one of the reasons I know you're multi-model because you're doing the psychotherapy, you've got the mindset and you, you're doing the hypnotherapy, but this, this is why I like to learn mm. because I would take elements of the yeah. learning, even with EMDR, with the uh, neuroelectrics method that I've come up with. Part of that is from EMDR, part of that is from hypnotherapy, part of that is from uh, NLP, part of that is from psychotherapy, but it's putting it all together in a way which I've seen success with. But like I said before, you will come across people that you just can't use that linear process with. You might need to change elements and bring part of your own personality in. But fundamentally, it, that multi-model approach allows you to do that more than that one theory or that one style of counselling or that one style of psychotherapy. Yes, that and is so true. It's so true. And that's why I think sometimes, and we said that again earlier, I've had you know, I'm not a psychiatrist and to be a psychiatrist, you have to do a certain length of training, different types of training. Uh, but I've had people that have gone to psychiatrists that have charged £400 for an hour and they've gone back a few times to get, you know, be reviewed and medication and so on because I can't prescribe or do that bit. But they'll say, I've paid all this money and I just, I haven't got anywhere because that psychiatrist has only got one tool in his mm. box. Uh, generally, like some psychiatrists may be a bit more... Um, alternative in their approach and a bit more you know multifaceted but generally they just do one thing one guy had been to see a, a psychiatrist that was using hypnotherapy but again he was too much of a psychiatrist in his approach so I think the multi-model approach really allows you you know if you've got to unpack with someone 
everyone again is different. Where do you start? How do you unpack with someone? It's the individual. You need to have a much broader perspective of humanness. Humanness. But this is what I think, because I get contacted quite a lot from, you know, newly qualified hypnotherapists. Mm. And they're struggling with what we were saying before, you know, am I doing this the right thing? Am I being person-centered enough or whatever, you know, but they are saying, you know, am I doing things in the right order? Am I, am I doing this the right way? And, and how, how, who am I to, to change this around? Even though I feel intuitively that it doesn't really quite sit well with me, Yes, but I think I'm doing the wrong thing. And so, you know, it's this fear of stepping out of the mold. And yet, you know, they come with, you know, they haven't just been born and then become hypnotherapists. They have a life yeah. and they have experience and they have, you know, their patterns that they yeah, have, that they've yeah. learned and worked through. Because I think if you are attracted to, you know, some sort of therapy work, you know, it is because you've seen it work for yourself and yeah. you've learned and you've grown from it. So, you know, there is this fear of being who we are yeah. because we feel like we either are humans or we're therapists. Yes. You know, it's almost like you can't combine the two. And I think the the juicy bit comes when you are you and you have got those tools, yeah. but you're incorporating them in a way that's yours, Authentic. your unique way that only you can do Yeah, because you have a way of explaining it because it makes sense to you and mm. it, therefore it probably will make sense to the person sitting opposite you. So I think there is a sense of having the confidence to 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 break free a little bit and yeah. be who you are. Yeah. I, do, I think the word authentic has come up in every episode. Mm. It, I feel like I'm... I'm on repeat here, but it is, <laughs> yeah. it's authenticity it is awesome. as a therapist, as a human, as a, you know, as a teacher, as a nurse, as whatever. I think to be authentic and to be true to yourself and then to just really cultivate a space for other people to, to be that too. And that, that does take confidence, but actually on that note, um, of confidence, I always say that confidence and self-esteem are two different things. Confidence is something that you practice again and again and feel really comfortable with because you've done it so much. And we've all got more confident at being therapists if we've done it for a while or, you know, more confident as a singer or, you know, as a a plumber. Because the more you do it, the better you get, right? It's often the self-esteem and the self-worth that creates the belief that you've got no confidence. Mm -hmm. So, for example, a child that was constantly told, Oh, just stop it. You're being so stupid or you're so selfish. You know, that really leaves an imprint on that child's mind about being stupid or selfish. And if I'm stupid or selfish, then I can't possibly do something new because what if people think I'm this? What Mm. if people think I'm that? Because I've been labeled this, that or the other all my life. And I think understanding that you, anyone can learn to be confident is repeat, repeat, repeat. The the, the issue is usually how you view yourself Mm. and you know, we are both obviously in a part of our lives where we feel that we can be authentic. We can say, look, I don't really care if you align with me or not. Like, I'm just going to be me. I want you to be you. We don't have to like each other. If we like each other, fabulous. If we don't, we don't. But actually, there's a lot of people with such damaged sense of self because of what they've heard or what they've seen. And they just don't feel safe to be authentic. So, I say all of that for a reason, not just because I'm yabbering on about confidence and self-esteem, but in your experience, would you say that you are often the first person that someone has felt safe enough with to open up with? Yeah. And that's quite sad, isn't it? 
it's quite sad that people haven't felt safe before. And again, I want to highlight that because I kind of want to just say to people, look, you know, you could, as I said earlier with the client that knew everything, Mm -hmm. she knows everything. She's read everything. She's listened to all the podcasts, but she still didn't feel better. And it is about safety for her. And if anyone's listening and they just feel like there's no one in my life that I can feel safe with, if you can't afford therapy or if you can't afford coaching or anything like that, I'm hoping that this conversation alone is powerful enough for somebody to start thinking about being authentic. Because it's sad if there's no other way of hearing this conversation or there's sad if you haven't found these kind of uh, people in your life that you can be safe with mm. and, and and if I know my take on this but if you feel okay there's someone out there listening they may not be able to afford therapy or they may not know where to start to look what's a good place to start with safety do you think I don't know I think possibly you know there is always something that we resonate with mm-hmm. so for me it was you know i i was very interested in personal development uh, even though i was probably suffering from quite low self worth but mm-hmm. i knew that there was a a direction mm-hmm. of travel for me and i found safety by going towards that yes. which resonated with me now that could be music that could be it could be anything but i think most people have something that is their thing yeah um and that's a really good start yeah to find others where you share something that feels like it's deeply aligned with you yeah. whether that's nature yeah. or something um, and I know for me, that was in the early years of being here in the UK, that that was the only place where I felt like I dared to be me. Mm. You know, we spoke the same language. We, you know, when I went to seminars or I went to talks and you chatted with the people in the audience afterwards and I thought, God, these are my people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where are you in normal yeah. life? Because I didn't come across them. So that made me have a sense of hope because mm. hope is always in all of us. Of course. It's like even, you know, in people that don't think they have hope, mm. they do in fact yeah. have hope. Yeah. So I think it's anything that can maybe light that hope a little mm. bit, that there are someone else, even if it's one person yeah. that sees you or resonates with what you like as well or yeah. resonate with you, that could be the beginning of feeling that, you know, I'm not maybe totally alone so important and I'm glad you said that because it's similar to what I was going to say you know you find safety in following your dreams sometimes because mm. that's where you find your people yeah it's exactly what you've said and it, one of the things that I was thinking about as you said that is someone is coming on this podcast who's a musician and he's doing really really well for himself at the minute he's been plugging away for many many years and done some phenomenal work with people like Lewis Capaldi and some big names out there and he's, he's doing really well in his own right. And I know that recently he spoke about having Tourette's. This is not Lewis Capaldi, who's also done that, but this particular person has got Tourette's as well. And, you know, if you're someone with a tick or with, with uh, Tourette's and your favorite musician is saying, I've got that too, that's that moment, isn't it? That's a really good way of looking at it that you said through music and I, it, it made me think about him because I was like, 
him sharing that about Tourette's, if you are that girl or that boy at school and you're the only one in your whole class that's got it, but this person that's on the telly or on the radio has also got it, yeah. all of a sudden you're safer yeah. because you you have that representation. Yeah. And you're sharing. There's this, this, this a sense of sharing, sharing something. Yeah. I remember when I first came here, so I used to always, my, my one of my dreams was always to sing. Mm. And so I did a bit of singing. And when I first moved to the UK, I met a friend of my husband's who was a guy who was just a random guy who they met down the pub. And my husband knew that I liked singing. So he said to me, you better meet this guy, which I did. And he is still one of my absolute best friends today. Wow. And he was a singer and a musician. And he was completely different from the people I hung with. Yeah. Right? So he he lived a different life. He lived at night. Wow, <laughs> yeah. I lived in the daytime. <laughs> and... Um, but because we shared, because music is a route into your soul. I mm. mean, it's definitely, it's so honest and it's so authentic. Yes. You can't fake it. No. Um, just knowing him and being friends with him was sort of that handholding. I mean, he doesn't live here anymore, he lives in Spain. But, you know, that handholding of having somebody that you could, you know, we our lives were so different on the outset, but we shared that deep connection. Yeah. Uh, was so healing. Yeah. It was so healing. Yeah. Despite our differences in life and, and, and personal situation and everything, it was like, um, I, you know, like life would have been very different mm. had he not been in my life. That's so powerful. And it's why I spoke about the, you know, those people that maybe can't go to therapy for whatever reason mm. is that there is always a way, always a way to find your people, to find your safety, to be mm. seen, to be heard. And you don't have to go for therapy. Obviously, if you can, it's I think it's a worthwhile investment or, or even coaching, whichever way you want to put it. But to find your people through those passions. Yeah. Interestingly enough, I used to sing. Oh, really? I used to actually get paid for it, which is phenomenal because I can't actually sing that well. But... <laughs> I did, yeah, around Northamptonshire. I did some, and it's funny the amount of therapists I've met that have also been singers. Really, yeah, it's true. It's, it's something just, I didn't know. Yeah, I don't know if that's just me that I meet people that have been singers, but yeah. Um, James Elliott, who was on the podcast, he's also into music and plays guitar and sings, and various different therapists that I've met seem to be musicians as well. Like, there's a creative yes. side to a lot of therapists, I think. Yeah, that we probably. Um, well, the reason that I did singing was because I could hold a note together. I, I'm not Mariah Carey or Adele here, but I could hold a note together, and actually, it took me out of my comfort zone, and I could earn money doing it. And some people obviously thought I was good enough to pay me, so I, I did that. And and it is you. You're right. You can't fake it. Like you have to. It's, it's raw. Yeah, it's raw. You are there, and everyone's going to judge you. Yeah. And okay some people may have judged me but I was getting paid for it so I was like well you know <laughs> <laughs> it's up to you what you think I'm taking home some you know <laughs> some money tonight so I'm all right but it is it, uh it was an enjoyment as well. and I do miss it mm. I do miss it because I feel like you are never going to be as vulnerable as when you're on a stage and when you no. are sharing your voice and voices is, I was just going to say because voices you know I was in a choir a few years ago uh, that my partner at the time had set up. And, uh, you know, I thought it was just going to be a little local thing. It wasn't going to mean anything. It wasn't really singing. And I had all these prejudices around mm. it. And it turned out to be wonderful. Yeah. With these wonderful people, these wonderful coaches, these wonderful friends that I made yeah. through that group. Yeah. And so 
you know, that is a good start. If you have any sort of musical yes. ability, you know, yeah. joining a choir is, is getting to know people, sharing something. And the voice is very powerful. It's very powerful. It really is. In so many different ways. And maybe that's why a lot of therapists do sing mm. as well, because it is about the voice. But I, I, I do think that there's something in that, like, even if you don't feel safe to do something, do it anyway. Yeah, you know, it's like it feel anyway. the fear and do it anyway. That yeah. very famous book, which isn't the greatest book of all time, but it's got some good, yeah. it's got some good pointers in there. And I think that's why I mentioned it. I didn't feel confident to sing. You know, I said earlier about self-esteem. Mm. I didn't feel confident to sing because I didn't sing until I sang. And then when I sang, I felt more confident to sing. And it didn't matter if someone was laughing at me or going, well, I don't think you're very good. I'd be like, well... I'm confident enough to do it and I'm getting paid. So who's the loser? Yeah. <laughs> you, mate, not me. <laughs> I'm here doing what I want to do. Yeah. Whilst you're standing there watching me criticizing yeah. me, you know. And th- th- that's funny how people do it. They do it with sports as well. They sit in their armchairs watching a boxing match or a football match and, oh, he's rubbish. He's the professional athlete. Yeah. You're the one that's sitting in your chair doing nothing, eating your crisps. Wasn't it Brene Brown who said something about being in the arena? If you know, yeah. Unless you are in the arena, yeah. don't say much. Yeah. Because you have you know, no you idea. You have no idea. Yeah. And that's why I, I always like to put myself in a position of vulnerability because mm-hmm. you grow from that. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, you make friends and you realize that there's so much more to us mm-hmm. than just this body yeah we have a soul and a mind and we can do anything if we choose to we've said that so much today so but I I like the fact that you said that about finding your safety in other ways following that direction because I think for anyone listening that just isn't ready for therapy and it's funny I said to you earlier didn't I I've had a, a few times where somebody's seen something I've said on Instagram or whatever and later become a client but it's taken them a while to get there and and again you never know what people get from listening or watching so I really want to thank you for being here because I I felt so many things that you've said today are so important um sharing bits of your own story and then just sort of giving us that perspective today on why therapy is good and what to do if you can't go to therapy as well just you are um such a beautiful woman inside and out and I'm glad that you've come on because I just was so keen to share what I'd seen and I'm sure so many people are going to enjoy listening to you and where can they follow you um, they can follow me on Instagram uh, at Begitta Hypnotherapy and my website which is com. Um, that those are the best places. Great. Yeah. I will make sure that everyone knows where to come and follow you and see you because you are, like I say, you're a sunshine person in this world. And um, I'm blessed to have had you on. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you oh, so much, Ella. Bless you. Thank you. I don't want it to end. <laughs> <laughs>